brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello and welcome to Castle Talk, where we talk to writers and creators of today's genre worlds. I'm your host, Jason Henderson, publisher at Castle Bridge Media, home of the Castle of Horror Anthology series. Tonight, we're chatting with Christopher Golden, whose resume is just something to behold. He's a New York Times bestselling Bram Stoker award-winning author of novels like Road of Bones, Ararat, Snowblind, Red Hands. He's been nominated for the British Fantasy Award, the Eisner Award, multiple Shirley Jackson Awards. Uh, for the Bram Stoker, he's been nominated 10 times in eight different categories and won twice. His original novels have been published in more than 15 languages in countries around. Your mom must be so proud of you. Um, and his new book is called All Hallows out from St. Martin's Press. Thank you very much, Christopher Golden. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. So um, uh, what's, what's interesting about this book, uh, All Hallows, which is, which is brand new, uh, I, I'm not going to read the whole, the, the whole synopsis that we get with the PR package, but I have, I have read the book. It's Coventry, Massachusetts. It is 1984, and it is deeply, um, it is deeply focused on a neighborhood in a small town um, all around Halloween, and and we see a lot of a lot of the personal lives, and we'll get into some examples. A lot of the personal lives of the families coming together and falling apart as a mysterious supernatural uh, entity moves into the into the into town, which which makes it a perfect sort of Spielbergian look at Halloween. And so my question is, um, first of all, why? You know, I mean, maybe your editors were thrilled because Stranger Things is a thing and blah, blah, blah. But why the 80s? Like, why did you want to put this thing in 1984? Um, so <clears throat> a couple of reasons. And it's funny. I'll we'll get to Stranger Things in a second. Um, so um, I was born in 1967, which makes me 55 years old right now, <laughs> um, which means that in 1984, uh, Halloween 1984, I was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. um so for me the early 80s uh were prime time i began mm -hmm. the 80s uh in middle school yeah. um, i graduated from high school in 1985 
Um, so this would have been the fall of my senior year. And huh, ironically, there are characters in the book for whom it is the fall of their Who are 17. Year. Yes, exactly. right, right. Um, yeah. And so for me, it was, I had done a number of books that were in a row that were these um, uh, very uh, um, momentum-based thrillers, horror mm -hmm. novels that are, are all about that sort of driving constantly, especially the one immediately preceding this, which was Road of Bones, mm -hmm. which was my shortest book. It was very much a, uh, uh, you know, hold your breath kind of book. Yes, sure. Um, and so by the time I finished that, I was like, okay, I've been out of the United States in a lot of books. I've been doing these books that have a lot of uh, reliance upon that kind of momentum. I wanted to do something a little bit more um, nostalgic for me. I was thinking mm -hmm. back to Snowblind, which is... Uh, set in modern times but but m much more of a book about the meshing of uh of characters and people in a town um and the way we all kind of intertwine in that way and also um you know i'd written books earlier on that were very influenced by i, mean, I remember my first novel was published in 1984 uh, 94 yeah only 10 years after the year that this was set <laughs> so at the time that i was publishing my first novels this was recent history for me. I, I just and, want to say, my first book was published in 1994, so we are totally contemporaries. Yeah, we, we, so, we're so, exact so same. To me, life. it's yeah. like in my mind when I think about the sort of classic horror. I also had written this novel many years ago called Straight On Till Morning. The first half of which is virtually um, autobiographical, mm -hmm. and so um, so I was in that mindset. I wanted to get into this nostalgia and I wanted to write a Halloween book. I'd never done it. I was like, Oh my God, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never written a novel, a horror novel set at Halloween. I really wanted to do it. And of course it felt only natural that if I was going to write about Halloween, I needed to write about it from the perspective of the kid. I was. Yeah. Um, and only when I, and, and nobody's going to believe this, but only when I got the, the cover copy that St. Martin's was going to use or the promo copy they were going to use where they referenced Stranger Things. Yeah. Did it even occur to me and I went, oh, they're happy about this book because of the popularity of Stranger Things. And I love that show, but it honestly never occurred to me because for me, this is my life. Right. This is my period. This is, if I'm going to write a horror story about Halloween, this is all natural for me. Um, I, I believe you. I mean, uh, yeah, no, because, it, you know, the, it was I great, said Spielbergian. I mean, you remember, you remember in E.T., which was contemporary at that time. It's like, yep. what, what was that, like 83? I, I don't even remember what year that was. But they're trick-or-treating in a world that looks like the world in this book because that's the world. Correct. That's what a, yeah. <laughs> that's what a yeah, suburb I mean, was, looked like. I, you know, I grew up in, in this New England that I'm writing about uh, in a neighborhood quite like the one I'm writing about, although it does have elements of the neighborhood I've lived in for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so it was actually just, uh, for me, when I realized that they were going to be able to use that as a marketing hook, I was so happy because it was, for me, it was purely by accident. For them, it was like, well, hell yes. I mean, this is, so they were very happy about that. And, um, and then I was too, because I thought, you know, I, I, anyway, so there you go. Yeah. Your... <laughs> no, I, I... Um, I think it's interesting that that the the book the book doesn't have chapters in a traditional sense. You 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 instead it's a series of point of views as you move through the which is which makes it um, it's funny to go back to that movie trope, but it makes it more like a film. There's no you know there's not chapters. It's it's just a long you know it's a well long it's a novel length story of switching from POV to POV. And I was curious, uh, did you? 
Did you set out to I see, I don't know what your process is like. I don't know if you sit down and you go, you know what, this time I'm not gonna do chapters. I'm just moving from character to character like it's a long short story. Yeah, I mean I've done it before. Um, but in this case, I'm sure, because I almost always do, I'm sure I started with the number one at the top of the page for the first chapter. Yeah. Uh, and that probably went on for the first few scenes yeah. until I realized that um, it felt forced yeah. uh, and that I didn't want to sort of shoehorn um, the chapter structure or shoehorn these scenes into chapter structure. And it just made way more sense for me to, um, yeah. to break it down from character point of view. It also made sense because I knew pretty early on that there were going to be lots of point of view characters yeah. Um, and I, so I started labeling them with the names of the characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, once I've started to do that, I thought, I thought, well, I don't need the, the numbers. Right. Because and I, I labeled them because I wanted the reader to, I wanted it to be easier for the reader to remember who the characters were when they were going back. Because there are, I have to say, the reviews by and large thus far have been very positive. Yeah. And, and the negative reviews that I've seen, or not even negative, the negative comments within reviews that I've seen have almost universally been, uh, it bothered me that there were so many characters. There were too many characters. How interesting. Um, yeah. And I'm like, fair enough. I mean, if that's the response that you have to the book, I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, that's reading is such an individual experience um but that's why i did you know i, I thought well let me give people a sort of shorthand it, it is it like, is useful you know sometimes you you wish not about this book in particular but any book sometimes you wish that you could get a dramatis personae you know the way you do at the beginning of a play yeah you know, but and, i feel like in a, in a case like this there are too many characters for that because by the time you get 100 pages in you're not going to remember what you read on the <laughs> yeah it just it's you remember it though because uh you're the moment you start reading one of those you go ah yes vanessa yeah Uh, okay i I remember i remember what she's up to um one thing i thought was really interesting is that this is a story about halloween all built around the universe of trick-or-treating which is a very much a child's world in the early 80s i mean it's not this isn't the swinging you know like the, the current era that we have where yeah where you know you, you you party as an adult. You couldn't you know, go into the party store and get your slutty nurse costume. Not as a not as a thirty year old. No, I mean you no, know I mean, so like, yeah. Things like right exactly. Yeah, it was a different different world. But I thought I think it's interesting that what marks the book to me though is how many adult problems there are. To use the TV tropes term, how many adult problems there are. Tony, who is running his annual haunted house, which in this book is not a haunted house, but a, a haunted woods that is that is on, on and adjacent to his house. Uh, he's, he can't pay the mortgage. He's going to have to move. Um, he's got troubles with his wife. His troubles with his wife involves this other guy who is addicted to drinking and betting all the women in the in the neighborhood another woman is looking for him at all the bars and she's embarrassed and all of these people um we we ride deeply in their on their shoulder and in their hearts as they think about these pressures that are all adult pressures none of this is something that will resonate with a 12 year old you know and and well this book isn't written for 12 year olds right right exactly (laughs) i mean you you know some some 12 year olds are prescient they'd read it and they go okay i get it you know the same way that a kid could read cujo right but um, but it's it's interesting to me how you've taken a a, a a holiday that's that's very kid oriented at least in this time and you've spun it around the psyches of all of these grown-ups. Right. You know, it, it's interesting. I would say again. I mean, myself and and lots of friends of mine, and I'm sure lots of friends of yours went through situations like this as kids. Yeah. Um, I 
I didn't need to know. My father was not uh, the monster that Donnie is. Right. Um, but uh, but he was a uh, serial cheater mm-hmm. and he was an alcoholic uh, and he was um, the life of the party. Um, uh, even when he wasn't drinking, he wasn't drinking around us. But, you know, so uh, my parents got divorced when I was very young. So mm. a lot of this stuff is very real. Um, yeah. Not necessarily the version that was real in my life, but extrapolations from that. And so as kids, we know. But it's also, for me, it was creating the fabric, like weaving the fabric of this neighborhood and how everybody always knows everybody's business. Yeah. The kids know a lot more about what's really going on in all the houses on the street than the the adults think that the kids know. Yeah. Um, in fact, usually the kids know a lot more than the adults know, um, you know, sometimes. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. they'll I'm, spot stuff that the, that the that has been hidden properly from the adults. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it is that. And also, I loved the separation of the night of Halloween, because even though the parents and the kids live in the same, especially in the era that we grew up in, mm-hmm. where like I grew up in, a, in an environment where. Um, if I wasn't at school, um, my mom was working 70 hours a week. So, uh, if she was going to be home for dinner, we had to be home in time for dinner. Um, if she wasn't going to be home in time for dinner, she would leave us a blank check to call Tano's pizza to get Uh them to deliver pizza from my brother and me. Um, but basically it was other than that, you know, like (laughs) in those days, you didn't have to have your dog on a leash. Our dog, Blackjack would bark to be let out yeah. and then either five minutes or five hours or sometimes the next day later he would come back and bark to be let in yeah and my brother <laughs> and i kind of we have an older sister who is eight years old than me so she's you know but my brother and i kind of lived that same life yeah as the dog yeah you know we would just go out to do whatever we were going to do and if we got our homework done and we went to school and 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 we're home for dinner if my mom was home for dinner then then our time was our own yeah, you and just wander in our yeah. own world. Yes, yeah. you know that was adjacent to our, you know, our parents' world, but not really the same. Like, just like they went off to their their works and they lived in that environment, we had our own world. Um, Isn't it funny how when you're like nine and you're with your friends, you know, back in back in that day, I don't know what it's like today, but back in that day, you go out, you find some nearby woods. You wander yeah. around in the woods all day. You're half in a fantasy world all the time. Yeah. You're talking about things that aren't there. You're and you're really wrapped up in this fantasy engagement. And it's it's so strange how quickly how quickly it flops when when you switch out of that. When yeah. suddenly I don't know at what age, 12, 13, you know, when all of a sudden you you don't go in the woods and see things that aren't there anymore. It's just it's just well, gone. you know, you change because um, then for my friends and I, we reached a point where instead of just going into the woods to sort of try to build a tree for it or yeah. to adventure along the paths that were up there, uh, we were going into the woods because we convinced somebody to buy us a 12 pack of beer. Right. And right. we would go in the woods and we would drink and we would tell stories and we would do whatever we were doing, you know, or yeah. maybe eventually you'd go in the woods with your girlfriend. You know what I mean? Right. And you're going off with girlfriends, right? And, yeah. and, and so yeah. it changes, it evolves, but even so it still becomes its own separate world where, where it has its own events and consequences and all of that stuff. Anyway. So, so I sort of tried to put all of those things kind of in, in this story um, because they all do intertwine, you know, um, go ahead. Do you feel like people, uh, who are reading All Hallows, 
Do you think that there are people whose favorite bits are the supernatural elements? Because you have a this remarkable lich with, with his own very strange rules and this sort of ongoing, almost cosmic uh, uh, conflict that mm -hmm. this neighborhood is caught in the middle of and will be changed by just as surely as they're changed by their own misbehavior with one another's lives. Right. That's a big, you know, so you could do a you could do a 50 page version of this book that was just about the supernatural parts. You could do a novella version, right? And I, I wonder, do you find that people are like, I, uh, that people are, some people prefer the one part versus the other, the hard ass horror versus the, the, the soap Absolutely. opera stuff? Although, although um, in this case, uh, almost all of my books, um, the negative things that I see written about uh, most of my books and reviews are, are funnily enough, some people say, oh, um, uh, the, it was too slow. Mm -hmm. All the buildup was too slow. And then other people say, oh, well, you know, I hated the sort of, you know, the last hundred pages because it was too fast. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so it's like, so you're not going to please everybody. It's like, it's like Goldilocks, you know? Yeah. Um, but I weirdly, even though I think it's fair enough for those same people to make, have those same complaints about this book and look, this is how I write. I'm not going to change that. Um, but uh, I feel like with this book, I'm not getting a lot of that kind of response. Um, and I think it's because the interweaving of the personal stories of the people is the reason that you feel the dread. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so for me, that's what it's about. When I first pitched this and I, I, um, I feel like uh, choking on my, uh, my words when I say this, because it, it seems like a lot, but um, <laughs> uh, when I first pitched this, my comparison was, uh, I said, it's basically like um, Rick Moody's novel, The Ice Storm. Mm. Um, it is. With, yeah. With Halloween horror, folk horror thrown into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and while the I can, I can read are, nine of those. That just sounds brilliant to me. Yeah. You know? That, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so the thing is, for me, it's like I, and so when I say that, I mean, The Ice Storm is obviously a more literary effort than the kind of thing I do. Um, so I'm not I making the literary I mean, these comparison. Are, these, are plain, these are plain language looks at people's real lives, and they exactly. resonate with the reader. Exactly. So I, I don't know how else to measure writing other than does it resonate and did it make sense to me? I, I so... You know, I, I, we could get wrapped around the axle on what exactly is literary, right? But the but you know but, what I'm saying. I mean, like, yes, I, I, I absolutely do. Yes, yeah. I believe that I set out with different aspirations. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. That said, you know, um, these characters and their experiences do seem to be getting under people's skin quite a bit, which I really appreciate. It makes me very happy. Um, I had a fellow writer come up to me at at my launch event. Now, he had read the book um right away when it came out um and he said he'd had a really hard time with it and i was like oh, you had a hard time reading it I'm, uh what did you bump on and he said no, no no i didn't have a hard time reading it i had a hard time with the content because the things that the adults were going through were too familiar so hurtful and so yes. so painful to because he about. had been through very similar things himself yeah uh, and he he didn't like to feel those things again i understand completely I, um, yeah. there's a wonderful moment in there where you've got where you you i, I don't want to do too many spoilers but a lot of things are revealed during just a big bashing argument amongst a whole bunch of the adults and you say this you have this great observation about how a couple of them were just headed out for a nice evening i mean everything was going great and now their lives are are completely altered um just just because of this conversation brilliant i i i i really love that 
do you feel like writing in 2022, I suppose you're, you're drafting this, um, that the things that you know as, a, as an adult, you know, about gender and racism and sexism and, and uh, privilege and all that stuff, you can't put those words into the mouths of people and into the brains of people in the, in the 80s. But does it influence the way that you write about them? You know, it's such a fascinating conversation and it's worth lots of exploration. A bunch of stuff has been happening in the horror community in the last 24 to, well, the last four days or so. And I was just having before- <laughs> That I've missed. So I've missed yeah. whatever the hell you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and it's okay. Um, and and I, I've just been having a private uh, DM conversation with um, a writer and editor um, about another element of all of this stuff, all related to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And what I was saying back to her in this private DM conversation is like, you know, and weirdly I said to the, the let me back up, the guy that said that to me at my launch event last week, I said, you know, look, uh, everyone has done things they're ashamed of or things mm -hmm. that they wish they hadn't done that might have hurt somebody else. Um, but it's what you learn from it and take away from it that is valuable and important. And in fact, um, you know, knock on wood. I'm 55. It's 2023. I believe I'm a good human being and I strive to be that. And I think I'm a much better person because of the times when I hurt mm -hmm. somebody or did something wrong or am ashamed of how I behaved, no matter how long ago that might be. And so um, uh, that's all part of it. And so, uh, you know, they say when you know better, do better. And so as you get older and you learn things and you take them on and you sort of understand things better, you view the past through a different light. Mm. But you still can understand the past and the thing that happened. Now, I had the benefit of having an older sister who's eight years older than I am who is gay. Mm -hmm. So I grew up, even when she told me, when I was 14, she told me that her girlfriend was her girlfriend. And I said, I know, <laughs> because, yeah. because I knew that that was the case. So she, when she came out to me, I already knew that that was the, the situation. But I have that, um, I, think, I think my parents divorcing young and my father being uh, a serial cheater um, and an alcoholic. And I think that my, my sister being gay and being surrounded by and almost basically, I've, I've often said, like half joking that I was raised by a pass of lesbians because <laughs> my mom was working 70 hours a week. So my sister and her friends were around all the time. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, you know, and then I had uh, mostly white people around me, but I had exposure to people who were non-white um, in my, in my personal life and my friend group and, and, and all of that. So I feel like I had the benefit of exposure that some people didn't have. I had the benefit also of seeing people hurt by mm. things that a lot of people didn't have still my behavior was far from beyond reproach and you learn things as you get older. I worked from the age of 12. I worked in my uncle's liquor store. Yeah. And so I also was accepting the deliveries and yeah. look, there's probably when I was growing up, there was no group telling more racist, anti-Semitic homophobic jokes than the delivery drivers who were bringing the booze to my uncle's liquor store. Yeah. And they told me those jokes and I laughed at them and I thought they were funny and harmless and I didn't understand the harm that they would do, right? But when you learn it and you and you improve, you get better. Now, looking back on that era now, no, those kids can't have the same thoughts that I have now, right? but those kids can know somebody well enough to be their best friend and when they realize that they're gay, love them anyway. Yeah. Like, even though they're in an environment that maybe is not accepting of that. There's a, don't you think it's funny how we get slowly, it's like a reverse poisoning, how we get slowly sort of, empathy seeps, seeps into us the older we get. 
Yeah. And what I find is most strange is that empathy has caused me to be much slower to anger, even at people that probably deserve some anger. But yeah. I mean, you know, like, like I find in, in my early fifties that I'm much more like, Oh, we don't know what that person's going through. <laughs> you know? And when you're young, everything is very passionate and there's right and wrong. And right. it's very clear. You don't and... think about the perspective. And again, like one of the conversations I was having earlier, because I'm dying this, to know what's been going on in the horror. No, universe. I mean, you know, I'll look it up as soon as we get was on. about, um, it was about, um, a kind of me too situation oh. that, um, that, happened a number of years ago like a significant number of years ago color me not shocked by the way just so that no no yeah and again it was <laughs> but again it was uh it's uh it's misbehavior by somebody who um uh i greatly admire mm. and i i have to um evaluate that yeah. misbehavior from my perspective like and so the question i have so many questions in my mind like when did that happen how did it happen how stupid was that guy at the time and like and so the thing is that the things you know can't excuse the behavior. If the person was drunk, no excuse for their behavior. Um, if the person uh, thought that they were in a, an environment that where it was safe to behave a certain way, that the people would take it the way they hoped they would take it, no excuse for that behavior. On the other hand, I can forgive a lot if they've learned from their behavior. Yeah, I can forgive a lot if if they look back on that behavior with genuine horror uh and and realize that they were stupid as i was talking about before like you know when you when you know better do better and yeah. so so those are the things that i i think about so often in the context of just the people in your daily life yeah right um so yeah it's a, it's such a strange again because especially because uh you know boys and girls all of the it, all of the uh, um, all of the forced dichotomies in our culture, mm -hmm. um, including boys and girls, um, boys and girls, when we were growing up, were were led to believe different things. Yeah. Right. And so boys were led to believe a certain set of behaviors was acceptable, not only acceptable, but was the ordinary behavior of boys. And again, that's not an excuse. This will blow so, your mind in the okay, 80s. Also, okay. <laughs> girls were led to believe that they should endure that behavior. Yeah. Right? And and yeah. that, and so the thing is that because girls were led to believe they should endure that behavior and boys were led to believe that that behavior was ordinary, yeah. you didn't get objections to when you were behaving abominably. Nobody said, hey, you're behaving abominably. Yeah. And so when you learn that that behavior is abominable, you've got to take that on board. And that goes for so many other parts of the way that we behave in life. Yeah. You know, like we don't, we're not taught to think about the impact that our behavior may be happening, ha having on other people. It, 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 well, this is the project of, of our generation, right? Is mm -hmm. to, is to, is to slowly have the world sort of revealed to us a world that was always there, but suddenly, you know, uh, and, and I was talking right. about empathy. I mean, empathy towards people who are very different from you, which probably is one of the most difficult things is being able to see from the perspective of somebody with a, a, a life that is very different from yours. Um, anyway, I, 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 I really was, I really am very, very impressed by the, by the conversations, both among the adults and among the young people. And by the way, one of my favorites is when the teenager who is in the process of coming out realizes that her best friend carries all of the prejudices of his father. He just doesn't speak them because, and that's what's brilliant here, is 
he is more sophisticated than his father. And so he doesn't, he doesn't like hold forth on the prejudices that he carries. That's scary and cool. And you know what I mean? And, and, and very, very well stated. And it's well, very, he doesn't, he doesn't dislike her or hate her or, yeah. or, or, you know, feel the same disdain for her that his father does, but he does think that what she is, is strange and, and wrong and unnatural or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, I got one more for you. When you talk about that girl, that teenager, when she's at the party and she realizes that the adults are being gross around her and sexualizing her and how how awful she feels and how insane she feels because she's like did i really perceive what that guy just said or or am i supposed to just pretend i didn't i didn't hear what that guy just said and i wanted to ask you did that come out of your own imagination or did that come out of conversations you've had with people like where did that come from um both probably i mean i feel like it came from um, absorbing conversations I've had or conversations I've overheard, not just with, um, you know, in, over the course of my life, you know, I mean, yeah. um, this goes for um, uh, people of color. It goes for um, uh, just putting aside any um, homophobia, racism, um, anti-Semitism, like putting aside any, any sort of uh, hate like mm-hmm. that. It's just the feeling of knowing that you're being talked about. Yeah unkindly we all can understand that you know i mean i i would i would i would assume that anyone with any kind of empathy has had some experience in their life when they realize that someone is shit talking them yeah (laughs) you know yeah like and probably close by and even if you don't hear anything you can tell by body language you can tell by whatever all of a sudden that you're the subject of that conversation and it's not a positive one yeah um so i can't truly imagine what it's like to um to be somebody who who is that somebody's having that conversation about you because of the color of your skin or because of who you love or whatever i can't truly imagine the hurt that's involved in that but i can try you can try and yeah and and uh and again you know seeing it through um my sister's eyes when i was a freshman in college i think um i was a bouncer um at a bar in framingham where i grew up Mm -hmm. and uh I ran into a couple of guys who had gone to school with my sister and they asked me how she was doing. And I said, Oh, she's doing great. She lives here with her girlfriend and blah, 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 you know, et cetera, et cetera. I went home and I was talking to my mother. I said, I told her I ran into those guys and I don't know how we got to it, but at some point my mother said, wait, you didn't tell them she was gay. Yeah. And I was like, well, I told them she lives with Eileen. What's, you know, what's yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And my mother said to me, um, if you ever tell anyone else that your sister's gay, I'll never speak to you again. It's very difficult for you to take on how important this was. Yeah. I imagine. And I yeah. just, uh, and, and of course I ignored that. I mean, I was never going to not be, to love my sister and be proud of her. Um, but, uh, you know, and I looked at that as what it was, which was ignorance and hate. Um, she mm. loved her daughter, but you know, very complicated Mm. um so i well outing has always been a complicated conversation because when you just told me that story i thought she was coming from the perspective of this is a scary little town uh no 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 no. she was coming coming from that conversation as a person who was um moderately known uh, in the town yeah um and that's really interesting didn't that's want really interesting to know that her daughter was gay that's fascinating i i it's so it's so uh stupidly progressive of me to imagine that that this was yeah, like no, a progressive no, 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 no. warning it was the opposite because <laughs> i was just like to me uh my sister's life was ordinary yeah yeah and to my mother it was something to hide yeah you remember the line in the entel what, what i was thinking of where where 
the the guy says uh, we're gonna need to close the uh, the drapes because God will understand, but the neighbors are not so sure about. Like, and, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, but it wasn't that because you know. And again, I, I will say that to, to her credit, my mother passed away two years ago. But to her credit, uh, you know, she eventually, my sister and her wife were the uh, were two of the first. Um, I think they they were the first or one of the first gay couples to be married in Massachusetts when it became mm. legal here. Um, they were on the front page of USA Today. My mother was in the picture with them. Oh my goodness! Um, she never became, uh, you know, perfectly comfortable, but um, you know, she was uh, she became more progressive as she got older, et cetera, et cetera. But, right. You know exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I, so, um, anyway, look, I, um, anyway, continue. Sorry. We've well, gone no, way uh, off on this. No, stuff, and, and I know, all this I know stuff that we've woven into this book. So I know that I've taken way more of your time than I said I would. Um, but I've really enjoyed it. I mean, it's been super fun. To, no, to I don't mind. I'm enjoying this. Myself, and, yeah. uh, and, and to talk about this, the book, uh, next time we talk next book, yeah. I want to talk about process and drafts and all that stuff. But this here, we've talked about, about, the feelings that are that are going in and how they've changed over generations and i think it's fascinating and i think it's part of the book and so so that's a, a good place to put it the book is called all hallows by christopher golden who i've been talking to it comes from st martin's press and it's new so uh so i hope i hope you have a fantastic release and i hope i hope you get a lot of attention for it thank so. you thanks for having me. absolutely thanks ciao Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.